You're not fooling anybody, Bender. The next screw that falls out is gonna be you. Eat my shorts. What was that? Eat my shorts. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm gonna have to check my calendar. Good, because it's gonna be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one? Say the word, just say the word. Instead of going to prison, you'll come here. Are you through? No. I'm doing society a favor. So? That's another one right now. I've got you for the rest of your natural born life if you don't watch your step. You want another one? Yes. You got it. You got another one right there. That's another one, pal. Cut it out. You through? Not even close, bud. Good. You got one more right there. You really think I give a shit? Another. You through? How many is that? That's seven, including the one when we first came in. You asked Mr. Vernon here whether Barry Mandelon knew that he raided his closet. Now it's eight. You stay out of it. Excuse me, sir. It's seven. Shut up, Pee Wee. Your mind bender. For two months, I got you. I got you. Welcome, my name is Matt, and I'm here with Andrew. Today we're going to be talking about The Breakfast Club, the greatest teen movie ever made by 80s movie maestro John Hughes, and how it defined not only a generation, but the fears and anxieties of teens growing up. So grab your popcorn and Reese's Pieces, and let's break it down on the Post Credit Podcast. Well, a lot of people say that the, all the John Hughes movies are connected. Some people, yeah, I, I, I've heard that. That's that's getting way into it for me, you know. <laughs> I feel like you could connect it, like the Quentin Tarantino universe or whatever, yeah. but if there's no story reason to, then mm-hmm. I just go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, did you watch this a lot when you were younger? Or is, is this more of a movie that... That, that you got into I enjoyed it older. but it wasn't one of those ones where I after I saw it one time I wouldn't just keep going back to it basically you know what movie do you like more this one or Ferris Bueller Ferris Bueller really mm-hmm. uh, so some people don't realize that it's uh, Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller was actually filmed at the same school at the same time it was almost like that She's All That episode mm-hmm or uh, the She's All That incident where they're making the movie She's All That at the same school that they were making Buffy. And so they'd had, that's why Sarah Michelle Gellar had a little cameo in She's All That because they were just on the different sides of the school. But this was like an abandoned school yeah. somewhere in Chicago because you know how John Chicago. Hughes, you know how John Hughes feels about Chicago. Yeah. You got to say it right, though. The he, Chicago. He, he also gets actors a lot, too, that are from Chicago. Yeah. Know? John Cusack, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's much better, by the way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, today we're talking about The Breakfast Club. Uh, this movie came out in 1985. It was directed by John Hughes. It was also written by John Hughes. And I think this is the first one he directed, right? Yeah. Because he wrote, like, some kind of wonderful, uh, and, like, planes, trains, and automobiles. 
But I think those had like different directors. I think this was like the first one uh, that he directed. Yeah. Um, the uh, it stars uh, Emilio Estevez as, uh, or excuse me, Emilio Estevez as Andrew Clark. Uh, Judd Nelson as John Bender, Molly Ringwald as Claire Standish, Ali Sheedy as Allison Reynolds, uh, Anthony Michael Hall as Brian Johnson, Paul Gleason as Vice Principal Richard Vice Principal Richard Vernon, and John Capellos as Carl, the janitor. Yeah. Um, and then you have a few other people that that play um, little bit parts. So. Um, Brian's mom and Brian's sister are played by his real life mom and sister. Uh, That's that, those are his real life mom and sister. I did not know that. The cars, yeah. And then the the mother or or the uh, yeah the the mother and the sister drop John uh, dropped Brian off in the morning, mm-hmm. and then his Brian's dad picked him up in the afternoon, and that was played by John Hughes. Yeah. Uh, so he played Brian's father in that, and then uh, there's a lot of people sitting there asking, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, is that his real father? You know, because it's kind of it's almost like it's hinted at it, it you know, with with them um, Bender asking the question, saying, you know, is that your dad? Is that your dad? You know, and, and oh, him not Paul answering. Gleason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you find out, like before, you're like, no, I swear it's not that guy. Oh, but the, then you the watch the end of the movie, and it's still not that guy. You know, yeah, the, the guy that's actually his father is the director of the movie, uh, John Hughes or whatever. But the janitor, John Capella, who they asked if it was his father, did you catch what was at the very beginning? Uh, that he was in you know how at the very beginning it was just showing random shots at the school it yeah. showed the burned down locker which mm-hmm. is obviously brian's and a couple other things that had been done in the school mm-hmm. one of them it zoomed in on uh, class pictures from back in the day and the picture was 1969 it had carl the janitor in it and mm-hmm. he was the man of the year that year <laughs> so he was like prom king man of the year most yeah. famous guy yeah. in 1969 in the school and now he's a janitor working at the school yeah so that goes, that kind of, you know, is a good transition for us to talk about what this movie is about. Yeah. And this, what this movie is about is what you're going to grow up to become or who you're going to grow up to become. It's basically the bridge between adolescence and adulthood. Mm-hmm. That's how I saw it. it. It's so weird because, like, I've always looked at this movie not in depth. You know what I mean? Like, Me like I, I just never really looked. At, I looked at the movie as like, yeah, um... I can check it off the list of movies that you should watch before you're 20, you know, or the, you know, movies you should watch before you're 25. You know, this is one of those movies that you should watch, The Breakfast Club, you know, but but at the same time you're just like, you know, okay, I watched it once. I'm going to brag about it that I've actually seen it and that's about it. You know, yeah. I didn't never really looked into the depth of this movie and like even thinking back of it now, I'm thinking of stuff that I'm like, wow, yeah, I didn't catch that. You know? yeah. Or, man, I could have been spending a lot more time enjoying this movie. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just, you know, okay, I watched it or whatever. Just, like, pay attention to these mm-hmm. things. This is that, yeah, that, I'm the same way. Um, That's it, why, like, I feel like I'm like, do I have enough to talk about here? But but at the same time, you know, that we can talk about this movie because, you know, I never looked at it in a technical aspect, you know? Yeah, and, you know, John Hughes, you can basically credit him for creating teen movies, right? Uh, yeah. There wasn't really a thing, mm-hmm. such a thing as a category teen or anything. Yeah. It was just movies back then, and sometimes you'd have some that are more towards uh, teenagers, but, I mean, I'll, pretty much the majority of movies that were coming back and coming out, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, yeah. 
you know, it was just for the general audience or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, you'd have different genres, horror, action, drama, comedy, whatever. Yeah. And I think most teen type of movies or teens in movies were relegated to the comedies. Mm -hmm. uh, just because, whether it's Porky's or whatever, you know, just, just because kids you know teenagers don't want to be dramatic you know they, they get bored with drama movies mm -hmm. let's either have action movies or comedies and stuff that's what keeps teens interested john hughes found a way to incorporate the comedy into the the, the comedy into uh ways teen angst you, you can turn it into, into the teen, teen angst yeah, yeah. And, and and you can get drama from it mm -hmm. which is really cool but again we run into as we've talked about um especially uh, midway through season two with our teen comedy month yeah. or whatever, uh, we got adults playing teens again oh. and everything. So let me list, list off these because it actually... Judd Nelson was like 40 in this movie. <laughs> well, he was old and it actually gets into... Yeah, because of that, it makes it a little awkward some of these scenes that are in the movie. Yeah. So uh, Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald are the youngest mm -hmm. uh, playing Brian and Claire and they're, they were both 16 yeah. during this movie. Anthony Michael Hall, and, you, and it's so funny. You see how small he is in all these movies, and then you see him in anything recently. He's like six foot five, like three hundred pound linebacker, or in you know? or in uh, Edward Scissorhands. He yeah. was the bully. Yeah. He was the nerd a couple years before Edward Scissorhands came yeah. out, and then suddenly he like he, he shot he up. Grew. Yeah. Well, and and if you look, um, he actually had a growth spurt through this movie. When the movie started out, he was shorter than Judd Nelson. Yeah, because Judd Nelson was like the tallest. Mm -hmm. And then by the time this movie ends, you could see when they're doing the little dance scene and you got mm -hmm. the three dudes up there on the railing and doing the, the marching and all that These kind of stuff. These constant dance scenes, yeah. dude. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall is actually taller than Judd Nelson then. That's so funny. he actually grew during that. But yeah, he used to, he was like this scrawny little kid. And then I don't know if he was as tall as you said, but I mean, he's a bigger guy. I, no, I'm, I'm not saying he's like that. I mean, right. I don't know exactly how tall he is, but he, but he I got mean, sturdy. So much, yeah, he's like a linebacker, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's... Uh, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, we we nobody can say that these that team movies didn't come from, you know, John Hughes. I mean, for the simple fact that even in this movie, we have a dance sequence. You know what I mean? And and where do you think all those other movies that came out in the 90s and 2000, early 2000s, stuff like that, where they got that from? I mean, come on now. How can you not tell? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you want to talk about this guy with um, with teen movies or whatever i mean he he wrote uh the screenplay for national vacation national lampoon's vacation you know that wasn't mm -hmm. a teen movie yeah. but a lot of teens liked that movie because it was that irreverent humor or whatever yeah he wrote 16 candles uh he wrote mr mom he wrote the breakfast club he wrote the european vacation he wrote weird science pretty in pink Fer ferris bueller's day off uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Not really a teen thing, um, but I mean, I, going through the list of his his great, some kind of wonderful. Uh, she's having a baby. National Lampoon's vacation. National Lampoon's vacation. Uncle Buck. Home Alone. Career opportunity. Do you remember career opportunities with uh, Jennifer um, Requiem from Jennifer Connelly? Connelly, yeah. Um, uh, where was I? Let's see. Uh, career opportunities. Curly Sue. Do you remember Curly Sue? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, yeah. He wrote. He wrote Beethoven. Beethoven with the dog. Oh, wow. John Hughes wrote that, but he wrote it as Edmond Dantes, which is really? your wife's yeah. favorite story, yeah. The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't yeah. know if it's her favorite story or movie. Favorite movie. Okay. So, I mean, you know, and 
everything that came after that, you know, like uh, all the, you know, the Home Alones that came after that because he wrote it. The Beethovens that came after because uh, he wrote it. He wrote Miracle on 34th Street, uh, uh, 101 Dalmatians, Flubber, Home Alone 3, you know. Uh, I mean, we could just keep, we could keep going. You know, Drill Bit Taylor with yeah. Owen Wilson. Yeah. He wrote that as Edmund Dante. So that was like his, like, you know, whenever I guess he didn't want any credit yeah. or whatever. But I mean, you look at how many of those are teen movies, yeah. And especially back in the day, like I guess the the very first one that would have really hit with teens is Sixteen Candles, yeah. And uh, you know that's one of you know that's one of my wife's favorite movies, if not her favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pretty in Pink. I mean, I don't know about you, I always get those two movies confused. Yeah, you know, like they're both yeah. Molly Ringwald led movies. And I'm always like, okay, 16 Candles is the one where they always forget about her birthday, and then the guy brings her a cake at the end. And uh, Pretty in Pink is the one, I can't remember which one has Ducky, but Pretty in Pink, I think, is the one with the lawnmower at the, was it the lawnmower? No, it was the red car. He came up, I can't remember, man. Yeah. I confuse those movies so much, but um, just just, just the, the impact that this dude had on Hollywood. You know, he started out as he write he wrote um, advertisements for like Kellogg's commercials mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, yeah. he lived in a very serious household where if you weren't pitching in and you were just like writing or whatever, you were daydreaming, and it was useless. So he grew up. In, if you've heard ever heard him talk, you know, he talks like yeah. this, and he's very matter of fact and very frank, <laughs> and, and you know, he doesn't really get excited about much and. Uh, uh, this is just kind of how he talks all the time. So, you know, he grew up in a house where, like, his his creativity and all that kind of stuff was probably stifled quite a bit. He wasn't allowed to write because it was dreaming, and that's not a practical job. Yeah. But you had to go to a, in his household, you know, to work. You had to go and produce something that, 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 that you know a normal general audience could consume or whatever. So mm. it was okay for him to write, go write ads and do that because that was selling that product and you're going yeah. to an office and, and you're, you know, you're nine to five and all that kind of stuff. So then he started writing for national lampoon, which is a, you know, a satire mm-hmm. and comedy magazine back yeah. in the day. Um, and which later then began to produce TV shows and, and movies, movies yeah. and, you know, usually irreverent uh, and, you know, gross out type of humor or whatever. Yeah. 80s humor. Really. Yeah. So he did that. And then, you know, he was supposed to do, what was it? Um, I think he was supposed to uh, write a, uh, oh, that's right. He was supposed to write uh, some, um, uh, something for National Lampoon's. But he was also working from home, and he'd never been into a grocery store before. One of his writing partners, like, he he called and was like, what do I do? What do I get here? My wife's out of town, you know. He didn't know what to do because he had never, he'd literally never been in a grocery store to go shopping. You know, that's just just how he was, and that's how he came up with the idea for, like, Mr. Mom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, things like, you know, he was supposed to be doing rewrites on on, um, some kind of wonderful and uh, the dude that he was working with fell asleep for a couple hours when he woke up. John Hughes handed him 50 pages. And he goes, hey, what you think about this? And he's like, you're just supposed to be doing rewrites. He goes, oh, I didn't do any of that. I, I, I wrote a whole new thing. What do you think yeah. about this? And it ended up being Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You ah. know, that, that's when he was. So, I mean, the fact that they said like he's like one of the quickest writers, 
Like you need something. He can write 60 pages within a few hours. Yeah. And a lot of it doesn't change from that to what we get on the screen. I mean, it almost makes you think, you know, with somebody that's that good at writing and what he writes about. And it's a lot of the same, but in the way that like he, he almost experienced all this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it was personal experiences that he's pulling from. And that's why they're all to like be able to get it that done. Based, yeah, Michigan based because it's right in that area. Exactly. So in a way, it's it's almost like he was he uh, he was pulling this from personal experience, and it's the only way that anybody could get some of this down or something. You know, something of a, a friend's story that was told to him or something like that. Yeah. You know, but I mean, all in all, just personal experiences to me that sounds like. That's where he gets his material from. It has to be. And he says oftentimes he's just writing. He's he's taking characters from what he's seen in life, yeah. whether it's situations he's experienced himself or has heard about. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I've I've taken a lot of that stuff. Probably the majority of my stuff is taken from real life experiences. Yeah. He, he kind of made a joke like, uh, you know, I haven't gotten sued yet. So, yeah. you know, apparently I can draw I that can do line that. Yeah. between, you know, what actually happened and not just using that at right out, but using that and turning it into a new story. Or that's what, that's what, like one of those kids, right. That, that, uh, you know, get bought all the toys in the world and they don't play with a single one of them because their, their imagination is so great that they can change anything. <laughs> they into, just stare at the box just, and imagining it. Playing. Yes. Yes. And, and, and <laughs> the, you know, spend hours just staring at a box, yeah. you know what I mean? But, but you know, there, there were those kids, you know, when we were younger, stuff like that, that, that could just totally, you know, satisfy themselves by just sitting there and playing with, you know, a box or something like that, you know, with the wall or whatever. You yeah. Know? Oh, okay. So I see what you're saying. So you buy them a present, you open it up and they're more interested in playing in the box. Right. Can't. right. I thought you yeah. meant like you buy something, but you don't want to open it. So you just stare at it. Imagine no, no, no. I mean, just having such, such a grand imagination, yeah. you know, you have such a great imagination and that's, that's how it has to be, you know, with him pulling stuff from his personal life. He also has to have such a great imagination that he can change it here and there to make it into a great story, you know? I mean, basically what we're saying here on the show is that we're real, we're a fan of his writings and his, his ability to write. Just uh, how prolific he is and how much of... Because I, I knew most of that stuff on yeah. his IMDb, but there were still a few where I was right. like, wow, I didn't even know he yeah. did that. But, you know, it makes sense because he just knows how to write for that generation but that was funny because whenever he was right around this time when all these movies were coming out these teen movies and stuff in the 80s he was like in his 30s like his mid 30s yeah but he was still able to capture that generation and it's yeah. hard for us now like nowadays me and you trying to go back to to see what was on the mind to see what's on the mind of 16 and 17 year olds yeah. nowadays I have no clue I don't either I got it I got accused of the other day of me not knowing fashion that was kind of how it was said to me. Yeah, but um, you and I are—we don't really care about fashion. I, I so. did, I did at one point, it, but you, it just—it slowly went ago. away. But, <laughs> but uh, the fact that I—this I, is—I think this was the most thing that I was regretting having a teenager. Regretting the most was her coming and saying that either I don't. I'm when not, you finally I, become uncool Yes, to them. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall were 16. Ali Sheedy was 21. Emilio Estevez was 22. And Judd Nelson was 25. Clocking in at nine years older than Molly yeah. Ringwald. And she was 16 when they had that make, they had some makeout scenes. That's too much for me. 
Well, so what yeah. do they say? Have you ever heard the rule? And I don't know. This is probably really bad. But have you ever heard the rule? Half your age plus seven years. That's your that's your line. That's where you draw the line. I don't remember hearing that, but <laughs> I don't know where. Maybe, maybe I do. From. I don't know. But like, so what would that? You know, you're. Do you care if I say how old you are? I don't care. Okay, so you're forty. Yeah. So twenty would be half your age plus yeah. seven years is twenty seven. You can't date anybody below twenty seven at the at age forty. That's that's what I've heard. My wife's only it's about four the, or five years away from that age gap. That's what, I, and hopefully above it. No, I know she uh, is. Obviously but, she is, but yeah. I mean, but I mean that's point. the joke. That's the joke, and I don't know if it, you know. Obviously, it's a joke or whatever. But I mean, you're thinking, okay, like if you have somebody that's eighteen. Uh, and half their age is nine plus seven years at 16. So somebody that's 18 can date a 16 year old. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so, but if we take that logic, 20, uh, Judd Nelson's 25, 20, uh, 12 and a half plus seven is what, 19 and a half, almost 20. Okay. He's dating way below what, <laughs> what the line low. is. So, well, here's the thing that for me, I think we're, we're both coming from the we have daughters law and rules yeah but back then in filmmaking it was like you had jodie foster who was playing underage inappropriate roles yeah. you had uh brooke shields in blue lagoon yeah. who was way too young to be doing what she was doing in that and everything and uh, uh dominique swain and lolita yeah you know you have these actresses that are too young to be playing what they're playing nowadays thankfully they get older actresses like they should have done like maybe in this movie but they get appropriate age that maybe look younger or whatever yeah. because that was when you look back at some of the things that these actresses were doing like yeah it's hollywood magic and certain things aren't real but psychologically that's got to be i don't yeah. know it's, and i just don't think it's good for you know maturing mm -hmm. boys and girls as they get older or whatever but yeah that was a huge uh, huge age difference i thought you know i could see judd nelson being 25 but i would assume molly ringwald was like maybe 18 19 or something in this movie yeah well i, I started watching this movie man and, and i hadn't seen it in forever you know just same thing like with 16 candles and all those other ones i have not seen him in a long time mm -hmm. so <clears throat> i started watching this movie again and I was really surprised that I didn't notice before, or maybe I did and just don't remember, that pretty much Judd Nelson is kind of the star of the film. Like, he's the one that I think carries more scenes than any other actor. Yeah, and I think his character is the least affected by the events of the day. Right. he doesn't really change that much, and in fact... He changes somebody else. It's almost else. like he's an unreal character because he's the one that starts everything. <laughs> yeah. Which we can get into. But yeah, yeah. It, it, I guess, you know, you could say they're all main characters. Um, some would say Brian is because he narrates and wrote the thing. And it's kind of like almost like he's just watching everything happen yeah. or whatever. But really, you know, it's, it's hard to nail down a. I think Emilio Estevez got like top billing because he was the most popular back then. But At the time, yeah. This and St. Elmo's Fire helped to create like the Brat Pack. You know, yeah. you had the Rat Pack with like Dean Martin and yeah. Frank Sinatra and all these people. And then the Brat Pack had like Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez and um, Ali Sheedy and. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, Brian. Um, the guy who played Brian in, uh, in this movie, yeah, Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, all those people were considered like the Brat Pack. There are a couple people that uh, in these movies though that didn't stick with that, like uh, yeah. um, Matthew Broderick, Alan yeah. Ruck from uh, 
from Ferris Bueller's or whatever. But yeah. Anyways, um, did you know that this movie was shot in sequence? Yes, I did read that. Actually. From beginning to end, which is why you can actually see the difference in, in Brian the, in as you're height, yeah, yeah as you're going forward. He's shorter than Bender at the beginning, and he's taller than him at the end. So I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Um, they they found an abandoned high school, and it had to be in Chicago as Chicago. Uh, John Hughes likes his Chicago, um, and this was actually being filmed at the same time as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, and they filmed at the same high school, um, just in different parts. You know, I, I would assume that it's hard to be a director. It's something I'd probably want to ask Sarab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, our, our friend Sarab, and see how difficult that would be trying to direct and run two movie sets. And this is like the first time he's being trusted with a movie. Yeah, and and he's he's directing two movies at once. So this guy was and, like a savant. Two, two when it comes movies to filmmaking and writing that are, happen to be like iconic movies. Like the uh, most was, iconic teen movies. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> and some of the most iconic movies of all time. I mean, in fact, yeah. when, you know, when, when, um, um, Ferris Bueller? No, Bender. Uh, uh, John Bender, or Judd Nelson? Judd Nelson, when he raises his hand at the end, Bender yeah. too, but Bender. Uh, yeah, when he raises his hand at the end, that's been rated as like one of the most iconic scenes. One, not the, but one of the most iconic scenes in movie and history. And recreated by like the Simpsons, Psych recreated. Community it. did it. They all, you know, and, and, and same thing with Ferris Bueller. I mean, yeah. one of the most famous scene, movie scenes Bueller. of all time. Is the the parade scene, yeah. you know, uh, doing the uh, twist and shout from the Beatles and yep. stuff, and and the fact that you know doing Bueller, Bueller. Yeah, I'm excited for those that don't know. Since these two movies were filmed at the same time, <clears throat> me and Drew decided to do them back to back. So we're doing Breakfast Club this weekend, yes. and next week uh, we'll have the Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and let him have his day off, and let him have his day off. Um, and I, so I'm excited to get into all the the, the Ferris Bueller of it. The Bueller of it. Up it and, Bueller. Uh, yeah, that dude. What was his name? Remember? Uh, Matthew Broderick. No, the Bueller guy. Uh, ben Stein. Ben Stein. Yeah, that's right. Genius with money. Yeah. Or just a genius, you know, really. But. Um. So this movie, he I does believe, the eye, eye commercials, right? The yeah, the clear commercials. eye, clear eye for clear eye. <laughs> Bueller. Bueller. Bueller, anyone Bueller? <laughs> he had that. Mu- he had a game show on Comedy Central yes, back when like South Park yes, first started. Yeah, I it's like that, it's called like Win Ben Stein's Money or something yes. like that. Um. Anyways, uh, so you basically had to beat Ben Stein. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah you had to win his money, and, and not many people are smarter than Ben Stein. Well, when it came to the topic of what they were doing, which right. I believe had to do with finance and stuff, but right. uh, this movie I think is about. The bridge from adolescence to adulthood. And there's many different things that that show that, right? So all the characters, what do they have in common? They're all baddies. Well, they all did something to get yeah. to detention. But besides that, they're all different. Yeah, they every all single one of them. But what do they all have in common? They're all in Who detention. do they not like? Oh, the the prince, vice principal. Well, right? yeah, but they don't like their parents. They yeah. all hate their parents, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what this movie comes from. Like... I think that, you know, that's the general rule for everybody. I think that we're different, and I think maybe it's a military family thing, but we never had maybe. those types of issues with our parents, right? No. Like, I think when we were a little older, there was a couple of hiccups here and there or whatever. But generally, you know, we respected and loved our parents, and, you know, we never really had an issue with with 
how they wanted us to be or, or anything like that. We didn't get yeah. the pressures. But these kids all in this detention, they all have different pressures from their from their parents. And um, they all are combative against the vice principal. Okay. You know, when he's not in the room, he uh, uh, he uh, they're all combative against each other, right? Right. And, but whenever he is in the room, it's almost like they kind of like – I don't know, protect each other or or they 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 kind of cover for each other. Well, they don't want to be known as the rat. You don't you want know? to be a snitch. Yeah, or you, you don't want to be known as that, and that's that's why nobody's going to say anything. But nobody liked Bender. Nobody cared about him being or saying a, it's a an rat unwritten or whatever. Code. So they could have told on him for the screw, so they don't get in trouble. Like in real life, a lot of these things probably wouldn't happen the way they happen. No, because it is very hard for a teenager of this age to peel back the protective layers that they've been adding because of all these issues yeah. and to bear themselves completely on honestly to people they barely even know if exactly. at all and even their friends their friends and click groups that they're with they wouldn't bear themselves to those people yeah. either yeah. so they definitely wouldn't do it in a situation like this unless it was like some random person that they knew they'd never see again or whatever but to for them to know that you know, they could be ridiculed if these people told what I'm saying to their friends on Monday and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there's even a conversation about that. So, yeah. you know, the fact that they pull together versus versus the vice principal, um, they who, who, by the way, is an idiot. I mean, Paul, Gleason. straight up idiot. Like, uh, but if you mess with he, the bull, <laughs> you get the horn. I just thought it was funny. He could not keep the door open. Like he's like it's too heavy for you, sir. <laughs> like it. Popped so one that little screw, one little screw was was preventing it from swinging that hard and fast. Do you want me to yank you out of that seat and shake it out of you? I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. He couldn't have found anything else to keep that door open. Yeah, I I, and I don't know what the what the mechanics are behind that. I I, I how does a, a spring loaded door like that? Um, how does it? close with I that feel much like they don't have those screw I feel like they don't have those anymore I, I mean it was made up for the movie well it could have been but you know back in the day they could have had it but I don't think they have it anymore because I mean if you know if there's a fire or something like that you got to be able to get that door open pretty pretty easily and keep it open for other people too you yeah. know and and so I don't think they even allow those anymore if not it's already made for the I movie. was like um great idea sir uh but I, I think that poses a, a fire risk for <laughs> what if there's a fire I mean he's right yeah I think yeah and then <laughs> the prince was like what are you doing get this out of here like blamed it on 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 uh Andrew and did you notice how Andrew flipped him off too yeah, yeah I don't know if you saw that but he's like what's wrong with you and then he starts talking and Andrew's just like this he's like well, remember, Bender's, like, yelling at him. He's like, F you. Yeah. And then the principal, like, you know, you can't, the vice principal or whatever, he, he's kind of looking like, should I just go in? No, this is a lot more funner. It, this it, is a lot more funnier to me. It, it almost, when that happened, and, well, we could probably get to it. But, you know, when that happened, I feel like the vice principal, at just that point, he realized that, you know, these these kids have changed, which yeah. they haven't. But, you know, we can get into that conversation that he has with uh, – the guy but the uh the movie starts out with uh with brian uh narrating what he had written for their essay that they had to do in detention so we're gonna hear this again at the end of the movie don't you know i'm loco but it's it's weird how it was at the beginning why do you think it was at the beginning of the movie just to kind of give us some context about what's about to happen or yeah but if you notice a lot with with that's very john hughes like though 
to be able to do something give some like kind that. of epic speech yeah yeah i mean it's it's kind like, of give you, it to authority well if you look at some of these like oscar winning films and things like that it always seems to have like a narrator at the front you know like uh um Shawshank Redemption, you know, have have the narrator throughout it in the beginning and tell you a little bit of insight, and then, it, you know, this end the movie ends and it ends up being like one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, you know? I'm just wondering why we heard it at the beginning and then heard it again at the end. It's almost like they were trying to say the same thing, but you have two different meanings before you see the events of what happened and then after you see the events of what happened. Like, it means two different things. I think it's kind of a way to introduce, you know, what he's trying to portray with this being a a coming-of-an-age story. I think that it's a way to kind of introduce that, you know, and, and, you know, tell their side of the story, you know, these these 16-, 17-year-olds that are just trying to figure out what they want for the rest of their life, you know what I mean? And, And I think it's kind of a good introduction for it. You know, it doesn't tell about individual characters as much as it does, like, kind of get an insight in, in, in their head or whatever. Yeah. You know? uh, have you uh, have you seen the uh, Family Guy spoof where they say the Breakfast Club and it has, like, Tony the Tiger and, like, the Trick yes. Money? And Tony the Tiger's like, you know what I got for Christmas? It was a banner freaking year at the Tiger House. I got a carton of cigarettes. Old man grabbed me and said, hey, smoke up, Tony. They're great bastard (laughs) (laughs) so stupid so but it opened it up like this and it ends the same way uh dear mr vernon we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong what we did was wrong but we think you're crazy to uh, make us write an essay telling you who we think we are what do you care you see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms the most convenient definitions you see us as a brain an athlete a basket case princess and a criminal correct that's the way we saw each other at seven o'clock this morning we were brainwashed so that's the opening monologue it's a little different at the end they don't have the correct that's the way we saw each other we were brainwashed blah 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 so um it's an interesting way to, to start it all. It's it's kind of sticking it to the vice principal already. Um, and, and it kind of it, it puts those in those convenient terms, you know, the stereotypes, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, princess, and a criminal. Yeah. So now that's how we see it. Now we have to peel those away. Um, so anyways, it, it, it opens up like that. Kids are being dropped off, uh, or should I say Brian um, – Let's see, Brian, Claire, and Andrew are all dropped off, and their parents all kind of give them encouraging. You know, Brian's mom is just like, get in there and study, you know? And he's like, we're not supposed to study. She's like, find a way to study. So he's going to detention. And when you find out what he does later, you're just like, oh, my gosh. And all his mom can say is get in there and study. Um, so she's not paying attention no. to him. She's not She's not giving him the support that he needs. No, she wants somebody else to take care of her kid. It's just like, you know, uh, dropping him off at school. And then on the Saturdays, you know, hey, just have somebody else take care of my kid. And having yeah. him drive towards all that's important is your schoolwork. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's it. Um, Andrew, he's, braid, he, he's told by dad, you know, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, you just do a little detention. You'll be all right. Basically saying, you know. Uh, don't get caught for these things that you do, yeah. you know, not, not really getting him in trouble for what he did, which again, you find out later what he did. Uh, and it's terrible. Um, but you don't get anything from the dad. The bad dad's basically just saying, Oh, you know, it's what kids do to each other, you know? 
Yeah. And and then for well, because he even says he says, oh, this will be the last time you'll be in here. You won't be in here ever again, right? Yeah, yeah. and and not listening to the concerns that are going on in the kids, and then uh, and because you know Andrew always has to be number one and everything, and then Claire gets dropped off, and they're like. Uh, you just left school to go shopping. It's not a big deal, you know. So these things that maybe these kids are doing to act out because they can't stand how it is right now or they want some attention or some positive attention, yeah. their parents aren't paying attention to Well, because Allison, I mean, she, she tells her dad, you know, like, I can't believe you didn't get me out of this. Uh, Claire. Claire, yeah. I'm sorry. Claire said, uh, I can't believe you uh, got me. I yeah. uh, can't get me out of this. I can't believe I'm here. Well, you know, I don't belong here yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And then the last two we see are Allison and Bender. And Allison's getting dropped off. And she closes the door. You don't see her interact with her parents, but she closes the door. And she goes to say something, and they quickly pull away. Like, yeah. you can tell she wants the attention from her parents. Yeah. But they're not giving it to her, not in the way that she right. needs and benders are just absent. He just walks in. He doesn't get dropped off. Maybe he lived nearby, whatever, or but not. it's meant to show you he's walking on screw grounds by himself. He's a loner. He's, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with his parents. He's probably got the worst situation or yeah. whatever. And they're not even present. So, um, knowing Bender as we do on this, why do you think he keeps coming to school or detention for that matter? I, I think mean, he's had he boredom. Out? I think it's straight boredom. Or do you think he knows his dad will like physically abuse him? I'm if sure. He I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But I mean, I think it's a little bit of that, a little bit of boredom. Yeah. If anything, you know. Because I mean, you could obviously tell he's probably afraid of his dad. Well, and also he's the type of person that like, or his character is the type of person that has to have attention on him. So if he's at his house by himself with the with no friends and all this other stuff, there's no attention on him. You know, so I think he kind of comes to these detentions and stuff like that just because he craves that attention. Well, he's incapable of bearing anything either. Yeah. He has to be confrontational. Yeah. And it's probably because of his dad. So, yeah, whenever he reenacted what goes on in his house in this movie by saying, no, what, Dad, what about you? What about you? It shows that instead of just ignoring it, staying quiet so you don't get hurt, he he's combative he'll come back to you and everything yeah. until it comes to violence or whatever and it happens a couple times in this movie yeah. when emilio estevez's character told him hey shut up man and he pushed it knowing yeah. that he'd get yeah. hurt so uh so yeah I, I i just wondered that i was like you know it doesn't seem like somebody like bender would would keep putting up with it he'd just drop out yeah you know and just not have to deal with it but you know i think a part a part of him wants to be accepted yeah because why else would he do the things that he does in this movie? I know he's antagonizing, but he also, it's almost like he's doing it with a purpose. Well, yeah, I mean, because remember when, when, when they all escaped out of the classroom and they went down the hallway or whatever, uh -huh. you know, they didn't go far. They didn't really do anything super crazy, right? They're just going to pick up his yeah. weed in his locker. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so, uh, but then he ends up throwing himself to the wolves, you know, I mean, and basically getting the attention so that, uh, you know, wait away from them so that they could sneak back into the right. library and you know he took on that he didn't have to you know but but again he he craves that attention you know and and that's why i think he goes to detention is because you know he if he's again by himself at his house there's nobody to get attention from and nobody to to mess with or anything else like that so i think he goes to detention partly because he needs that that social interaction yeah you know remind me to bring that up but yeah i have something to say on that too especially when he takes the fall or whatever um 
feels like this is a prison, right? Yeah. They're they're in there. They got the warden or the vice principal mm-hmm. or whatever, who's just you could tell he's just anti youth, yeah. because we, you have teachers in school who are a certain way. But you know, in school, if you have kids in detention, especially nowadays. You wouldn't talk down to them. You yeah. wouldn't say this or that. You'd just say, okay, there's your detention. Here's what it is. It's not like it's the military, but that's what yeah. this teacher was treating like. I don't know. When we were in school in our younger ages, it was like they that. They could talk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, they got it real easy nowadays, and you yeah. know, extremely disrespectful to teachers and principals yeah. and all that. But And that's not everybody, but, you know, a lot yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are many references, like whenever he gets pissed at Andrew and climbs up the steps and then just sits on the steps yeah. and he's holding onto the bars. Yeah. And they're running through the hallway and they come up to that gate and they can't get out yeah. and the bars are there. And then when they're whistling, the, the, the whistle from uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. The <laughs> I think it was on the Seven Dwarves, too. No, that was a whistle so I, while we work. Uh, okay, right. No, but the... That was from Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. So it, it has all these like these these connections to, you know, like a prison type atmosphere. So that's supposed to make you feel like that's where we're at. And Bender goes into like a quote unquote solitary confinement halfway into the movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Which he breaks out of and all that. He doesn't last very long. And you know, there's like the breaking out element of it whenever yeah. he sneaks out mm-hmm. and they're sneaking around the place and everything. So um it's 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 got that quality to it, but I feel like all these kids. He's like, I forgot my pen. Yeah, he comes in. He's like, what? I forgot my pencil, and they're just like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, but I just feel like all these kids would really just stick to themselves. I feel like Andrew and and, and Claire would stick to themselves. Uh, Brian would just be quiet and be doing his essay, um, and weirdo back there would be doing her own thing. Right? Yeah. Allison would be doing her own thing. Yeah, cereal Sandra wasn't sandwich. There. Yeah. So if Bender wasn't there. That's how it would be, and that's how the day would play out. It would yeah. be a very boring movie. It would be a very boring day. <laughs> Bender is what makes this movie. Bender is what, and it's like obvious, like, oh, yeah, he's the cool one. But he really is what makes this movie, and he's the catalyst for what kicks everything off because he antagonizes people to keep them at arm's length and everything, but the antagonizing of all these people is what digs everything, starts to dig everything up. It starts to make people feel uncomfortable where they're going to blow up and they're going to do this and that. Once you show the worst part of yourself to somebody, you know, it's real easy to then kind of just chill out and get to know the person, you know, yeah. because you've already shown like the, you know, your angry side or whatever, you know, how antagonizing you can be this, you know, how the awful things you can say mm-hmm. to each other. It's a lot easier to do that. And I feel like that's what Bender did. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <clears throat> You know, it's like you were saying, it wouldn't be much of a movie if, you know, he wasn't, that character wasn't in it because it'd be kind of boring to a point, you know, because again, you know, he is the catalyst and, 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 you know, just having, you know, such drastic different personalities in this film, you have to have a character like this because, you know, the, the rich princess, whatever character, she's very much claire claire she's very much so so i like that's i like my name or what did she say it's it's a something name it's a fat girl's name (laughs) (laughs) but she's very much and then you get you know like andrew's character who who you know portrays the jock every which way but sporto yeah but he's he's still kind of like a uh you know 
respectful person to a point you know what i mean you know yeah like he's like watch the language don't talk yeah, to her that way yeah. different things like that even though the reason he's in you know but that's that i think that's that alpha mentality you know yeah. because he has he's the alpha in the school and everything and so when back then you had your manners and everything so mm-hmm. you would not talk a certain way around yeah. a woman or you would uh you know treat a not curse or whatever around certain people or whatever it may be so i think he has that entitlement as the alpha like hey that's not up to my standard you can't talk like that yeah and see like nowadays we were talking about this too you know it's this uh you know in this movie john hughes did really really good job when when he you know outlined these characters personalities right mm-hmm. nowadays a lot of that's mixed now if you've noticed you know like you'll have a jock but that's also kind of like a a loner and then you'll have the princess but also happens to be a, a soccer player or something like that you know what yeah. i mean like real athletic so so i feel like the generations you know after this film started to merge almost you know the personalities were merging with each other you know i mean you didn't have you like you can't go to high school nowadays and say okay that guy is definitely the jock because he might not be a jock, you know, he might have the, the, the jacket on and everything, but he's like a big nerd or right. something. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's very, you know, back then when, he, when John Hughes did it, he defined it very well, but it was just very easy to define back then. You know Archetypes what I mean? versus stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that, yeah. And it's just the fact that nowadays we don't have that anymore. Yeah. You know, everything's mixed together. I mean, it, it, and it's great, you know, in because, reality. Because we as humans, we want to... We want to be able to categorize things. It's the only yeah. thing that makes sense in our head mm. to figure out where we stand amongst these things. Yeah. So, like, if you want to go, it's it's you could look at it biblically, but you could also look at it, you know, evolutionary, yeah. right? So, I mean, if you want to go that way, it's like it's 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 your prime instinct categorizing. Okay, is this person a threat? Is this person okay? This person is lower, and yeah. I, I, so you can decide where you stand. Yeah. And if everybody's lower than you, then you need to take over the alpha. Yeah. Or if everybody's higher than you, you know, then you realize that you know where you are in the food yeah. chain or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, when we watch movies, and especially teens, who are still trying to figure everything out, yeah. they need that category almost yeah you know and when we're watching these kids instead of being an adult they got to be a type of kid right yeah. so we're trying to figure out where they are and as shallow or whatever as it seems it does help the storytelling process now you can go real yeah. corny with the stereotypes and be like okay this person has no personality they're just a stereotype like in like uh like can't hardly wait you know you yeah. had your your stereotypes in that movie yeah that movie the point of that was to be able to put yourself into that stereotype yeah because there's nobody like 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 in that movie particularly, um, there's nobody really in real life like that, you know. Just like back back then though, but with with John Hughes films, you know, you actually did have the jock category, and it was just full fledged jock category, you know, princess, you know, uh, outcast, whatever, nerd, whatever, you know. I mean, back then it was so defined. Where nowadays it's not. Yeah, and in like can't hardly wait. You had. Mike, who was the jock, yeah. you know, you had Amanda, who was the princess, yep. you know, yep. you had uh, Preston, who was maybe uh, like the weirdo, like the Allison character yeah. or something. And then you'd have like the nerds, like the Charlie uh-huh. guy, you know. And but that's not how real life is at this point. You yeah. know what I mean? During these mo- those movies, life wasn't like that. Now it's all merging, you know, and yeah. becoming, you know, all, all different groups, you know, where back in John Hughes time, 
it was it was very outlined like that still yeah. in real life too. You yeah, know? and you know I feel like a lot of those the movies nowadays it's all about that's all there is is yeah. just let's figure out the stereotypes. Now this movie it starts off with the stereotypes and that's yeah. what he was saying in that speech. You know. Uh, we accept that we had to, uh, what does it say, uh, what do you care? You see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to how it's supposed to be at the very beginning of the movie. We're supposed to see them as as the vice principal sees them yeah. in the simplest terms. That's why they say at the, uh, at the outright, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, a criminal. But they find out that they have so much in common, besides these stupid little stereotypes that separate them into cliques, mm-hmm. that by the end of the movie... Instead of saying um, you see us as that, it says we found out that we are all a brain, an athlete, a basket. It's saying that we're all the same. Yeah. We just get put into these categories based on this or that or whatever, maybe. So. Well, and it's, you know, even the principal fell into that category, too, in his own category in a way. You know what I mean? And, and. You know, because they were what make fun of his polyester. You know what I mean? Because what it was in the eighties, right? When when this well, was supposed to just, be portrayed, yeah, it was 84, 85. And right? He, he even said, "Well, there is a poster in the library that says something like um, buy your school supplies, class of eighty or something.' It's, yeah. So it was probably when the school shut down. Right. That right, was probably right. just left up there. But yeah, it's supposed to be eighty four, eighty five. Yeah. So so you know, people. I don't remember people wearing like polyester like that uh, whenever, back in whenever he said that uh is there any questions oh uh, yeah i have a question does barry manilow know you raid his closet <laughs> and it was so funny because i was watching this with my son and yes i did cover up his eyes and make yeah. him make him not look a few times in the in this movie but um <laughs> my, my son goes what does that mean <laughs> you know he's like who's that who's barry manilow and uh so i was just trying to explain to him what he meant by that yeah and nowadays yeah. it would be I guess it wouldn't be anyways, but nowadays we just, there's nothing that's really like too off the wall. Taboo, you know? Yeah. Even if you look at something, you're like, no, that is a hundred percent universally stupid. Yeah. Everybody would think that you'd get told, no, shut up. That's how it's acceptable. It's acceptable or whatever. And that's fine. You know, people want to be the way they want to be. That's fine. Um, I, I I don't, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, and I think you're the same way, you know, People can do whatever they want to in their own lives and do whatever they want to with their own lives as long as it doesn't affect me. Yeah. When it affects me, that's when I got a problem with it. When If it doesn't affect me, I don't got any problems with yeah, it. That's a libertarian uh, mindset as well. Except for one certain topic, but we won't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, basically, uh, obviously, we, we so that's why I was saying, you know, John Bender's the, the catalyst for everything. So all the other kids, they would have just chilled out. Right. Yeah. But no matter what, Bender's going to come at this, come back at this vice principal and the vice principal, you know, he like whenever he gets Andrew to get up and help him move the thing, you know, mm-hmm. he sees certain people as being in the acceptable class. Like yeah. he sees even Brian and Andrew uh, as as and Claire is more acceptable than Bender and maybe even Allison. Like if you yeah. notice, uh, Vernon doesn't really even talk to Allison throughout. He tries the to, movie. and he, she just makes noises. Yeah, he he gives like her a paper to to have you know, and he'd be like, "Hey, get her. What's her name?" You know, and that's really all yeah. he said. And if he had a list of who was supposed to be in detention, he'd realize that she wasn't even supposed to no. be there and no. everything. But. Um, 
Anyways, uh, you could tell that he treats the kids differently based on their cliques and, and, and stuff as well. because Their Bender, class. Bender's the burnout. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's the one that could be trusted to get up and help me with yeah. the, with what Bender probably just messed up and everything. So that's when he was like, you, Andrew, get up, or Clark, get up, come help me. And he's like, hey, how come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Okay, watch, watch the magazine. It's out of my hands. He's just really trying to piss Judd Nelson off. was great in this film. Great actor in this film. He I mean, really is. Just phenomenal. I feel like he's he's taken out everything. He he wants to take it out in an adult figure, figure because of how his mom and dad are. And it's yeah. both of them because, remember, he did impersonations of both of them. And mm-hmm. they both seem to not even like their kid at all. Yeah. And so it's like he's taking it out on Vernon because he knows that Vernon has to put up with him. He's not his parent. He can't hit yeah. him and everything. Until later on in the movie, he gets Bender in that closet for his, uh, what did I call it before? His, uh, if they're in prison, it's the... Um, oh, oh. Um, solitary yeah. or whatever, solitary confinement. He gets him in there and he takes off his jacket. He's like, come on, let's go. You want to go? Nobody's going to believe you. You know, if you try to say that I started this or whatever, nobody's going to believe you, so let's go. You know, hit me. Come on, I just need one hit right here. Hit me. You threatening me? What are you going to do about it? You think anybody's going to believe you? You think anybody is going to take your word over mine? I'm a man of respect around here. They love me around here. I'm a swell guy. You're a lying sack of shit, and everybody knows it. Get on your feet, pal. Let's find out how tough you are. I want to know right now how tough you are. Come on, I'll give you the first punch. Let's go. Come on, right here. Just take the first shot, please. I'm begging you. Take a shot right here. Come on. Just take one shot. That's all I need. Just one swing. And Bender's kind of like, like really, like kind of almost scared a little bit. Yeah. He's kind of like looking back, just like looking at him. And I think that's because he felt like he could take it out on the guy. But now this guy wants to hit him too. Yeah. So what does that do for Bender's confidence? That's why this this vice principal is just a terrible, terrible person. Yeah, but I mean, we knew that from the start too. Cause, yeah, I mean, he's he, supposed he to. That. Yeah, he's supposed to be that kind of person. But you know, it's it's kind of hard because when you're in that situation, you know, you you're either as far as Bender's concerned, you're either one way or you're another. There's yeah. no gray area for him. I mean, so it's like you're either just a nutbag and you just don't care what the teachers say and you do what you want to do. Or you follow the rules yeah. like everybody else. You know, there's no gray for him, which I kind of feel like his character figured out that there is some gray in the world, that it's not all just black and white. You know, the way his dad portrayed life and, you know, how everybody looks at him. You know, it, it's always, you know, he, he feels like it's just, you know, black or white. You know, there's no gray area there, you know, for, for him to move on and for him to move to a different, you know, way of thinking. You know what I mean? And yeah. I feel like this movie kind of brought that out to him to say, hey, you know, being alone and being a, a jerk all the time really gets you nowhere. You know what I mean? And so, so you know, he started to see the gray. But I wonder if he's like, he was like doing this every weekend. You know what I mean? Because I feel like he know he knew exactly what he was doing and antagonizing these people all day. Because, you know, if you have like a rotten smell in your house because somebody left some food somewhere and you can't tell where it is, there's a bunch of crap on top of it or whatever... Would you just kind of clean up the top or clean up around it and then just leave it? Or would you root up the problem, remove it, 
that's yeah. what I felt like he was doing. I felt like he was antagonizing everybody because he knew that if you showed your, if you got angry, if you blew up, if you lost your yeah. your your cool, if you you know you tried to say this this about yourself, eventually, you know you're going to get to the point where you can talk about more stuff. You can be more open. And he was like pointing out everybody's insecurities. Now maybe that started out as I'm just messing with people and I just want to be. This is how I keep people at arm's length is is bringing up all well no that's kind of what i was saying though like like that that he thought it was just black and white and that this is what his mission was and you know what he didn't have anything better to do it's like he's doing it every weekend with a new right people every right when he realizes i think with this group of uh, people particularly because they accept him they finally accept him where nobody else has accepted him obviously but you know i kind of feel like it'd be you know bender probably turned a corner after this yeah and this this is probably just you know he's probably been in other detentions where he just slept all day or you just have this or that yeah. this is one of these unique times where you basically have a stereotype from each class yeah. in the school right and the most popular probably in the that, in, that particular stereotype one or whatever yeah. yeah so i mean you know and you know even uh, allison who's nobody you know yeah. you have somebody so well she technically wasn't in detention so it doesn't count i guess yeah exactly but i mean that's what i'm saying is that he almost like looked around as an opportunity to like, okay, let's see where this goes. You know, yeah. I don't know what his mindset on uh, on it was. I could say there there's an air of um, propheticness to him, knowing that this is how the day was going to turn out. But I doubt it because there was a lot of other things that happened. But basically, I, yeah, the first part of the movie is them um getting in there andrew and claire being really the only ones that kind of get along because they run somewhat in the same group yeah but everybody just antagonizing each other and it's spurred on by bender right and it's just them going at each other and but then whenever he wanted to take the screw out so that the door closed so they could have some privacy yeah so they didn't have to just sit and and vernon could watch them the whole time they would all like kind of stand up like, oh, you know, I, what was that ruckus? And, you know, Brian's like, could you describe the ruckus, sir? You know, <laughs> and uh, even uh, Claire and Andrew were like, no, it just fell out, just closed. Yeah. You know, they didn't sell out Bender. They could no. have yeah. got him taken away and not have to deal with him for the rest of the time or whatever. But it's an unwritten code. It really is, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, he relied on that to have them not sell him out and everything. And then there's like, okay, once we, once we got all that out of the way, then it was Bender saying, okay, what's it like with your home? He's realizing, and he probably knows, that everybody has a problem with their parents. Yeah. Some kind of problem. And especially these kids that are getting into trouble for whatever they did, they have something wrong with their, their parents. So he's like, oh, this is how probably how your house goes, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, well, what about you? And then he explains what happens in his what house. What about me, Dad? Yeah. And then he explains what happens in his home, and that's when people stopped disregarding him. Yeah. Initially, they would disregard him just outright because they just thought he was just a big jerk. Exactly. No matter what he says, he's this is Lying. Just, this is a guy who thinks he's tough. He wants to be no, no, no. Stupid, worthless, no good, goddamn freeloading son of a bitch, retarded, big mouth, know-it-all asshole jerk. You forgot ugly, lazy and disrespectful shut up bitch who flips me turkey pot pie what about you dad fuck you no dad what about you fuck you no dad what about you fuck you (laughs) 
that for real? You want to come over sometime? This is a guy who has gone through abuse and doesn't know what to do with that and the effects of that, so he acts out, and he yeah. keeps people at an arm's length by doing it. It's psychological, you know? You yeah. look at psychology, you know? Um, so that's when it kind of changes the corner, you know, the whole, yeah. what about you, Dad? Mm. What about you? You know, Abed does a good impersonation on the community. That was a that. good that was a good clip whenever he's like, no, Dad, what about you? Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, he, uh, whenever there, there's also that scene with Bender and the principal where he's like, do you want another one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, are you finished? No. Do you want another one? Yes. And I, then saw, I thought like, that on a YouTube here. video or something like that. Somebody was like, you want another one? Yeah. No. And then just going back and forth and being like, yeah. And I've seen, how about another one? I've seen reactions to some people watching Breakfast Club being like, I had no idea that came from this movie because it's just been so, so many things in this movie have been repeated. Yeah. It's such, it's so yeah. like cemented in the zeitgeist. It's mm -hmm. like, so it's just been repeated so many times. So um, that whole thing was interesting too because um, you, you see that uh, Vernon is treating the kids, you know, that. So the way somebody, you know, a, a father might treat their son and saying, you know, oh, you're talking back and everything. How about you just do what I say or whatever? Instead of, um, you know, like these kids do, find out more about him and realize that he's got reasons that he's acting this way. Yeah. Like the kids didn't realize it either. So you can't really blame Vernon except for that he's an adult. He should know. Yeah. This kid's acting out for a reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe approach us differently yeah because apparently vernon used to be a different guy because when he's talking with the custodian he's like you know um i don't know what happened these kids turned on me um and the janitor was like uh, no you ever stop to consider that they're not the ones that changed that you were the one that changed yeah and that's what this movie is really getting yeah. into is and it's said later on by um uh it's either claire or andrew that says, um, oh, my God, are we going to turn into our parents? And um, mm. that's the whole thing, you know. And, you know, Allison says, when you get old, your heart dies. You know, basically saying when you get old, the dreams and the way you look at the world, how it's, like, full of possibilities and different things like that, you just get, you know, kind of swamped down with the seriousness of life and mm. you become exactly what like your parents. Maybe not exactly like it. But you become a lot like them, or you end up handing them, you handing your kids baggage from your parents, or handing them baggage from you being the exact opposite of your parents, just to be opposite. Yeah, yeah. And that can be dangerous. So, uh, anyways, um, he 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 does say to Vernon the one time, you know, as he's leaving, uh, he yells "F you." And, you know, it's kind of like almost covered up by the noise mm -hmm. in the, the noise effect that's in the movie. And you see Vernon stop, and it's kind of like he's just like, this is what I have to put up with. This is how the kids are. This is the kind of respect I get. Yeah. And he just kind of like walks away. And then you see Bender sitting there, and he's like mumbling underneath, underneath his breath like he's pissed. Like, And that's because he knows he's got to go home and tell his parents, you know, I got I got detention for like the next three months. Yeah. And everything. So the next three months, every Saturday I gotta be in here all day. Yeah. And everything. So, you know, and maybe he 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 purposely gets detention because he doesn't want to be home 
and I don't think I'd want to be home in a, in a house like that either. So, yeah. Um, but he finally gets to the point where, uh, they, uh, they want to go and they want to have a little fun in the day. So they sneak out and they're going through the hallways and they're, uh, they're trying to get to Bender's locker without the vice principal principal seeing him because now he's walking the halls too. So they're just trying to avoid him. So they're going all these different ways and everything. Um, but there's a part where there uh, earlier when Claire was talking about him and his friends, it's either Claire or Andrew talking about mm-hmm. him and his friends. And he's like, he's like, don't talk about my friends. You don't know my friends. You don't look at uh, my friends. You don't condescend to speak to my friends. Right. But at that point, why would he take the fall for all these people? Why do you think he, do you think he considered them friends when they were going through the hallways? I mean, no, I, I, th- I think more or less he was considering himself where he was like, you know what? I'm already in trouble now enough. So why anybody else get in trouble for it? And if he fails and gets them all in trouble to Vernon, then he loses their respect to a point because he's the one that had them sneak out. They've put trust in him that they can go and do this without getting caught. They, they assume, okay, Bender's done this enough. He knows what he's doing. We probably won't get caught. Now, if he hadn't done what he did, they would have gotten caught. They would have left for respect. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a reason that he went and did that. He was trying to earn their respect. Maybe he saw that they didn't, you know, after learning a bit more about him, they didn't dismiss him outright. And maybe there's some ground to be gained with these people in, in you know, I don't know, finding some kind of a common ground with somebody. Well, and plus he knows that they didn't people. tell on him, you know, for the screw. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he, he's already got a little bit of trust in him in yeah. a way, you know. Yeah, and I, I honestly don't think it's till the group therapy scene that any real change makes, you know, cemented between them. But it's just something that I wondered as they were going through, like, why would he make that sacrifice? But I figured, you know, he figured he was going to get caught anyways. And he knows how he's seen. At least he can yeah. help these people not to be seen again or whatever. So, um, uh, so after that, he uh, he gets put in solitary confinement. Um, Vernon has him. He stuffs he stuffs his weed down Brian's pants, and then he gets uh, put in this closet. And that's whenever he threatens Bender and then takes his jacket off and says, "Let's go, let's go. You you're so tough. Let's go. Let's see how tough you are." And becomes that abusive person that he has to deal with at home. You know, this guy's probably talking to them the exact same way. And that's why the man of the year janitor Carl. You know, they the kids don't have any respect for him either. But he's like, "You guys don't understand. I." I, I know everything you guys talk about. I read your letters. I hear your conversations, all this and uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, so he knows these kids. And when he has a conversation with Vernon, he's just like, you know, um, he's like, it's it's not the kids that have changed. It's you that's changed. You know, kid, you know, th- certain things have changed, but you've become this person. And, you know, this man of the year has become a janitor. You know, yeah, it's all very matter of factly. You know, Carl doesn't have any qualms about it doesn't seem to be pissed off with his lot in life you know he's just he's just who he is but with vernon he he lost it he he you know he lost whatever it was when he was a youth and probably became just like his old man or or his mom and dad or whatever so um but he leaves bender in there and i think that that's got to be pretty bad too because he locked that closet door Mm -hmm. so what if there was a fire in there i mean pretty illegal <laughs> it's got to be at least yeah. you know so anyways he gets up into the vents and he he sneaks his way back to the library they all smoke 
they all exchange wallets and purses and everything and look at what's in each other's wallets and purses and uh, everybody reacts differently. You know, Andrew doesn't want to do it at first, but he finally says screw it and and uh, acts a weird way. But I've seen yeah. people act like that too. So, <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, that's when right after they they do that, that's when they really all get together and start to break things down. They get into their little therapy. You see uh, Anthony Michael Hall going into the the whole uh, weird science uh, way of talking there at the end. Guys don't know how to hold they yeah. smoke. Uh huh. <laughs> That's like straight from Weird Science. Yeah, which we have to talk about. We are going to do a John Hughes month with some other John Hughes movie. We just figured we'd do these two together because they were filmed at the same time. Yeah. But, but yeah, so like how the kids act, uh, that's just what's on the surface, and it's what their parents have done to them or how they portray themselves to their parents, right? But after a few hours uh, uh, you know, of attention or whatever, you know that, that surface was rubbed away, and we see who they really are. And it's really exposed in this this group session of these group of five people you would never see hanging out together. Yeah. They have one common thing. They're all in detention and they all hate their parents. And now we're going to find out why their intention, why they hate their parents, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's one comment in here that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, if you remember, uh, Allison did or said something when she was in, in the back, in the back, this is towards the beginning. But uh, Claire, I think, was saying something, and she just goes, ha! And everybody turned around and looked at Allison, and Claire was like, shut up. And, you know, that's, the, like, the first thing she had, first noise she had made. Yeah. But, but Bender said to her, uh, I've seen you before, you know, to Allison. And that was all that was said. What do you think that's all about? Well, because she probably goes through life and goes through school, you know, basically trying not to be seen. Or just going through life and not being seen and that's yeah. no matter what she does yeah and 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 i think she kind of plays along with that you know what i mean like she's gotten to the point where she's over trying to be popular you know she just wants to be left alone and nobody even noticed that she's there you know she's kind of given into that and i kind of feel like him saying that <clears throat> is saying that just because you're trying not to be seen you know i see you so yeah, maybe I've seen you maybe he's reaching out to her. Or yeah, something. yeah. In a way, in a way, we're just saying, you know, or just another like he's trying to show everybody he's got their number. You know, he knows who Brian is. Talks about you know you are a parent's wet dream. Talks about who Andrew is and what he is important to him. Talks about Claire and what's important to him. Doesn't probably know much about Allison, and that's probably why he's like you know, I've seen you before. You know. Making yeah. it a connection with her yeah. as well. He's trying to make connections with everybody, yeah. uh, whether for good or for bad or whatever. But um, what did you think about all their confessions? I mean, this has got to be like one of the most famous scenes in all of them because this is like the scene in Breakfast Club. Yeah. This is the takeaway from, from every – there's a lot of quotable lines and stuff, but this is like the most important part of Breakfast Club yeah. and, and probably the most uh, – spoofed and copied and yeah. all that kind of stuff um but it, it exposes a few things about our characters you yeah. know it exposes <clears throat> uh stuff about claire that you know she can let her hair down and have some fun too and then bender gives her crap about it and you know everybody else is pissed at him for doing that and mm -hmm. it kind of puts him in his place for doing that yeah but he's also telling her you know that everything she has and does is shallow and, you know, you're more than just a party trick. Yeah. You are a bitch! Why? Because I'm telling the truth? That makes me a bitch? No. 
because you know how shitty that is to do to someone. And you don't got the balls to stand up to your friends and tell them that you're going to like who you want to like. Okay, what about you, you hypocrite? Why don't you take Allison to one of your heavy metal vomit parties? Or take Brian out to the parking lot at lunch and get higher? What about Andy, for that matter? What about me? What would your friends say if we were walking down the hall together? They'd laugh their asses off, and you'd probably tell them that you were doing it with me so they'd forgive you for being seen with me. Don't you ever talk about my friends. You don't know any of my friends, you don't look at any of my friends, and you certainly wouldn't condescend to speak to any of my friends. So you just strip to the things that you know. Shopping, nail polish, your father's BMW, and your poor, rich, drunk mother in the Caribbean. Shut up! And as far as being concerned about what's going to happen when you and I walk down the hallways of school, you can forget it, because it's never going to happen. Just bury your head in the sand and wait for your fucking prom. I hate you. Yeah? Good. Uh... People say a couple things to Bender, but really he is not that much attacked. They like they get pissed at him for treating Claire so badly, mm-hmm. but um, he's trying to wake her up to something and wake the others up to something too. Saying, you know, you're just as bad as her for letting her be this way, yeah. being this spoiled little person or whatever. Um, the uh, then you had Brian's story, and then you had Andrew's story. Mm-hmm. Um, we already heard Bender's story. The only reason he's here is because he pulled a fire alarm. Yeah. So that's just it. But his sad moment came earlier when he was talking about his home life. Yeah, Claire's moment uh, was uh, Claire's like down part of the movie is, is her constantly being berated by Bender mm-hmm. until she realizes what he's trying to like wake her up to. Yeah, and then you have the other two that have sad moments and Allison who just showed up or whatever. But what did you think is like probably what hit you the hardest? Which of these people's story hit you the hardest? Uh, Brian's probably because of the gun. <clears throat> yeah, before you found out what it really was. Yeah, because <laughs> it did sound dramatic there for a good few minutes. And even Bender kind of sobered up and was like looking real serious and everything. And then uh, Allison was like, "It was a handgun," and he's like, "It was a flare gun." <laughs> Everybody started <laughs> laughing at him and everything. Yeah, but, but he obviously has depression. <clears throat> yeah, and anxiety and stuff. Yep. Well, all of them do, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know. they, they're they're probably like the Breakfast Club of like breakfast time medication. That's probably what that's referring <laughs> Something, to. Yeah, is the medication taking the day to level yourself out, to de-stress, to anxiety, whatever. But he he has it a lot. You could tell a lot of his is pressure from his parents to to be the best, or to 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 uh, study and do the best. Andrews is pretty close to that in being number one at what he does. Yeah. You know, Claire just gets away with everything, and she gets bought everything because her parents are trying to one-up each other. So it's all about them, and they don't – there's no real love or care or uh, um, sensible parenting going on. Yeah. You know, um, Bender has his issues, and uh, his parents are either ignoring him or abusive, and Allison's parents are just ignoring her. And everybody else is ignoring her. She doesn't have any friends, so – but yeah, uh, Brian's that that got real serious there for a minute until you found out it was just a flare gun. But still, I mean, still, I mean, I don't know what he. So I don't know if it was trying to imply that he was going to shoot the teacher for giving him that grade, shoot himself for getting that grade, or shoot the prod the elephant that wouldn't light up. I think himself. Think yeah, because they were. I think they said, "Were you?" Uh, it's like I wasn't going to use it. I didn't use it. It just went off in my locker or whatever. But how do you kill yourself with a flare gun? Yeah, I don't know. I mean that that's probably just the naivety of, of of the character or whatever. But what really hit me hard was um, was Andrew's story um, in taping the buns and stuff like that. Like back in the day, you know, maybe we would have laughed at that or whatever. But 
he brings up a really good point in that his insecurities about how he is um, have now bled over into guilt because of what he did to that kid. You know, he's like, you know, I just think of that kid and having to go home and tell his father what happened. He's like, like, like how, uh, how humiliating would that be mm-hmm. to tell to tell your your father that that happened to you? What did he say specifically? He said uh, something like, um, I don't know, it's something that had to do with the standards that his dad would hold for him. Mm-hmm. But maybe that kid's dad feels differently about it. Like, yeah, maybe it's like a joking thing or whatever. But I mean, if that kid was really humiliated, yeah. What? Imagine being that kid and having to go home and tell your father that and he just yeah. imagines the humiliation that kid must have gone through which really digs it not only tells like of a horrible situation and that you know maybe he, his has the most like devastating uh consequences of what he did out of all of them but um just just to f- be able to feel that for somebody else to and it was like he wasn't spurred on by his friends you know or his dad he's like i did it because of my dad you got to be number one andrew and stuff and he's like you know i I felt like my dad was a little disappointed that i didn't let loose and you know mess with somebody basically i felt bad that my dad saw that i wasn't a bully yeah you know and so he wasn't spurred on by his friends his dad he just sat there was changing his locker room saw the other dude changing and just lost his mind and went and tackled the guy and I think beat the crab out of him or something, or at least held him down and taped his butt together or whatever. But when they tried to take it off, you know, brought some skin off, there was some serious physical injury. So there's that humiliation, having to go home and tell your your parents. And maybe it wasn't as big for that kid, but it would have been a huge humiliation for himself. So he's actually having a little bit of retrospective on what's a, you know, it really does feel like this is a true therapy Mm -hmm. session. Yeah. And then after you tell that, that's when you get the uh, – right after that when she's like, you know what, you guys want to know what I did to get in here? She's like, nothing. I didn't have anything better to do today. You know, So you need that levity, especially in a John Hughes movie. Yeah. I mean, most of it's pretty light. You know, He doesn't like to get into too seriousness, but you got to break that somehow. Yeah. Break the, break the uh, monotony. Uh do you think that's? I mean, what is what is that whole scene for you? I mean, do you remember that from childhood, or is this this movie was never that big with you? No, when it wasn't you were that younger? big with me. It wasn't that big with me. I mean, <clears throat> like I said, I pretty much kind of watched this movie just because everybody was like, oh, "You have to watch this movie. You have to at least watch this movie once." So I kind of watched it, and I was like, "It's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie." I, I wouldn't like, oh, this, you know, this dark side. It wasn't of like the, a scar. No, I, I never looked good into fellas, right. Godfather type of right, and I never really did you know dwelled deep into this story you know i mean because i don't think there's a lot of layers to this story i mean it's just kind of a lot of this stuff you know i think you could take it either way you could take it with layers or you could take it as just detention where kids you know bond and then they go back to normal yeah and and the thing is is i mean there's nothing there that says that none of these people will go back to their normal lives what they were doing the day before you know well, what I that's mean? What I'm There's nothing what do you really stated on Monday. I think they go all go back to normal, being like how they were, yep. and and not not being. I, I don't think there's enough time there to. I mean, one Saturday, I don't think that that's going to really change anybody's life, necessarily speaking. I mean, yeah, may, maybe towards each other, but as far as in the way they are in general, I think they go back totally to normal. They go back to to 
who they were before, you know, and I think maybe maybe they'll react differently to each other uh-huh. to a point, you know, may, maybe kind of, you know, Bender doesn't go pick on uh, Brian or something like that, you know, ever again, you know, he just moves on to somebody else, for instance, yeah. but, but, you know, and then, you know, uh, Molly Ringwald's character denies ever making out with Bender or whatever yeah. else like that, you know, oh, that never happened. Oh, I was taking advantage. I was an emotional moment, but I really think they all go back to normal, how they were. Yeah, I think it, it almost portrays it, it almost portrays, portrays it uh as um a fairy tale you know a once once in a lifetime fairy tale where where it's almost unbelievable because you have one representative from each clique right yeah which would rarely happen and then you have the bad guy who's mr vernum the person for the authority and the hero bender who's breaking all those you know points of authority or whatever um and uh so it's almost like and the fact that Bender ends up with the the princess, which would probably never happen, you know, or or, you know, Andrew ends up with uh, Allison, Allison, which is weird. And, it's and I don't very know if weird. It, yeah, that, I didn't that, even see that building up that whole thing. Yeah. It was like, like, yeah, I get it. You're you're going against type and everything here, but they could have left weird. that one that one part out, you know, like maybe. OK, Bender and, and Claire and everything. OK, I get that. You know what I mean? To, uh, not really, but I, I do get that. But I you didn't have to throw the, the bad boy deal. Yeah, but you know the the Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy character. I just was like, no, that uh, that was uh, that was too much. I think they could have left it out and it totally not, not changed the story at all. No, I don't think it would either. Uh, in fact, I think that the well, yeah, I'll get into that in just a sec. But yeah, like the Bender and and Claire thing. You know, there's a long history of the good girl, the rich girl, whatever, going after the bad boy or whatever it may be, just because it's something that's exciting outside their the normal mundane life or whatever. Yeah. But the football player with the basket case or the jock with the basket case, just because it's different and there was no setup for it, because Andrew wasn't a really likable character as as much of a prick as Bender was. He still had bits of things that he did that were funny that made yeah. everybody laugh. There was nothing really there with the Andrew and Allison character. Yeah, and the thing is too is you know she doesn't really represent a clique. I feel like okay, she calls she says you know basket case. You just said, you know, but everybody's a little bit crazy. You know, every and single one of those groups are they crazy. Make at the yeah, end is that we're so all she, a little bit of that. And with her not being actually supposed to be there, you know, I think that that's how they got away with her not really being in into click she was kind of like a click of her own yeah. you know she was a really good drawer 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 then she used her uh dandruff to uh, make it snow yeah you know what they really used what parmesan cheese i believe it it's probably stinky well by now it is D- and she had those olive loaf you know the little little baloney looking thing that had the little bits of whatever <laughs> remember back in the day you used to have those little deli loaves disgusting or whatever. i hate olives see i didn't mind like the pimento loaf part but like yeah she took either. that off tossed it so, because it had that type of lunch meat in it, probably it had some kind of like mayonnaise or mustard. But then she's putting sugar on the bread that probably yeah. already has mayonnaise on it or something. And then Captain Crunch. And then she's eating that. I don't like get that. it. It's the weirdest thing yeah. in the world. But uh, And also the makeover at the end with her. Like, she's one of my favorite characters, but we're seem, seeming to poo-poo everything that's going on with her. But yeah. it seems very shallow. Like, like it doesn't seem like the type of thing she would do or let happen. Like, I think that with that makeover, it was just for that day. 
She's like, yeah, whatever, sure, make me over or whatever. But I'm sorry, but she, I think she looked better before. I, do I was about to say, then. and I said that to to my son too. I was like, I was like, I honestly think she looked better the way she was before. And he's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> so I like, like you could tell, like, like that's that's it's kind of like that works for her, you know, that yeah. look or whatever. And this one was all right, but. Just the fact that you had to make somebody over, and I think it was more just about the bonding between Claire and her. Yeah. And then Andrew saw her afterwards, and for some reason, their thing. I like that she's still a little crazy afterwards because they're outside, and she ripped that patch off his jacket, and she's like, "This is mine now," you know. So uh, I thought that was cool, but I, I, I think the whole thing between her and Andrew are necessary. Um, she didn't really have a purpose throughout this whole thing. I think she found some friends. Um, I think this, if this was a fairy tale, yeah, they'd probably all hang out afterwards. I think honestly, they'll probably, well, they'll probably make a point to make sure that they've changed on Monday. But after a couple of weeks, I think it fades away. I think they go back to it. Afterwards. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like they just by Monday, they're totally different. I mean, I, I think, uh, Brian's character will try to be like, Hey, you know, yeah. maybe we were in, and they're they're They'll straight up ignore him. I just feel like they, they'll ignore him. I think Bender would probably be like, yeah, whatever. He he wouldn't be too concerned okay, yeah, about it. Okay, yeah, I'll give it. you that. I don't think Allison would be too concerned about it. But, yeah, the other two, they're going to be a bit. Now, if we wanted to be altruistic and say, you know, nowadays maybe, but maybe back then there there was a little yeah. bit more. I just think that there was a lot more shallowness. And so that – that being said, though, Claire seemed to really enjoy, <laughs> you know, being with, with Bender, but – you know, the way she is and her priorities and all this kind of stuff, he's not really doing anything with his life. I yeah. don't know. Maybe they get married one day. Who knows? Yeah, right. And she talks about his bad to boy days back in the day. Uh, I think I think people or talk. Or something like that. Yeah, and I think people are talking about that whole makeover scene. I don't think they, 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 they're they missing the point. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, she got made over. People are like, oh, well, she shouldn't have been made over because – you know, that's not what's important. And it's like, okay, so why can't she be made over? You know, yeah. if she's a certain person inside, it shouldn't matter how we make over on the outside. It shouldn't matter if she stays the same. It shouldn't matter if she gets a makeover. It's right. just what's inside. So, but I think there was a little bit of the, let's normalize this a bit, mm -hmm. you know, because the basket cake is, is abnormal, but it was normal for her. Yeah. So I think that did take a little bit away. I think that's one thing that should have probably been changed. Um, but, you know, I think at the end, you know, I think they're all equal now because they've all exposed themselves, uh, you know, and I feel like um, detention is like the only place they can be themselves now. You know, with that certain group of people, those five people together, yeah. that's the only time they'll ever be themselves okay. is when they're with those five people, because that's the only time they have been themselves. They've allowed themselves to be themselves. Um They've allowed themselves to be themselves. That's right. And what, that's that's why I think it's so interesting, the journey that they go through. Because they're there in the morning. And Claire's like, oh, I can't believe you couldn't get me out of this. I don't want to be here. Brian doesn't want to be there. Andrew doesn't want to be there. John's like, whatever. I got to be here. Yeah. You know, and Allison's bored. So, but... The fact that that's that's the first time that they've all really been themselves. Yeah, because they know each other. I mean, they they know almost they know a lot about each other. You know what I mean? But that's just because they probably know more what about, they perceive, and they probably know more about each other than their closest friends and even their family. Yeah, yeah. And so there's got to be some kind of freedom to 
maybe they maybe they go back to school and they all understand their roles and instead of trying to hang out together they wave at each other or they kind of nod at each other or whatever and they do their own click thing but maybe on the weekends they find time to hang out together or in a perfect world yes something like that, that because happen. you know maybe they all know okay we're together but we all also understand that we all have pressures from our own clicks and our yeah. own life or whatever so um What's your favorite part about this movie? The <laughs> where he gets the pen. It's got to be the either that or the. I don't know the principal in general. I think everything he did was hilarious. Like he was just an idiot, like a total idiot. Like didn't want to be there. You could tell he, you know, he had to kind of be there. But you know everything he's doing, he's going to the bathroom, he's getting water all over himself. But well, and he you had know. the little toilet sheet yeah. hanging off his <laughs> pants and stuff like that. It'd have to be probably his reaction with Bender in this movie. I think you know the vice principal and Bender's scenes together. I thought was probably my best, about my Bender getting part. the horns. Well, that yeah, that. But you know every, everything else too. You know, just I thought that 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 was really good. That that interaction was was filmed really well yeah yeah i like that i said i like paul gleason as the vice principal but he uh he obviously shouldn't be a principal anymore he's lost no. he's lost what he probably got into it for to shape these kids and then realize and then as he got older and older and more the like kids an adult, are jerks they're like, a bunch of jerks these kids now so you should probably get out and go do something else yeah because you know when he, you're, you're getting to the point where you're challenging uh, what's supposed to be a 17 year old yeah to a fist fight yeah and this kid is dealing with abuse obviously and you yeah. can't see it that's some that's some traumatizing stuff you're doing to some kids you shouldn't be in education after that well he, he could uh, open up his own uh, polyester store <laughs> and sell bad polyester suits does barry manilow know that you raid his wardrobe give you the answer to that question mr bender next saturday yeah that that, that whole line could be the name of the store yeah and this is where actually bart simpson got one of his famous eat tag my lines. shorts eat, did i stutter eat my shorts yeah so anyways it ends with a slight alteration to the uh, monologue from the beginning dear mr vernon we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong but we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. If you guys want to get a hold of us, so we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast, uh, except for Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website; it's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm putting my hand in the air, by the way, and throw me a bone. Keeps falling.